0: Well, it's always a uh, privilege to uh, preach in chapel here at uh, BJU, and especially, though, during a semester where there's a theme of knowing God through the book of Psalms, and I just love that emphasis. By way of personal testimony, I did grow up in a genuinely Christian home, and I was taught the importance of spending daily time in the Word of God early on, and I did. It became a pattern in my life, even uh, through my teen years. But it wasn't until college that God really started to open my eyes to understand the point of Bible study. He started to show me that reading the Bible is not just about finding a promise to claim or understanding a principle to help me through the day. That it actually, the Bible is all about a person. And it was my gateway and is my gateway to get to know God. And uh, for me, God used the book of Psalms to really help me jumpstart a lifelong pursuit of Him, getting to know Him. That's why uh, my wife Kelly and I both have a passion to help others learn how to study the Bible in this way for themselves, especially younger people. And all that to say that I really appreciate this emphasis, want to contribute towards that here even today. Let's pray. Lord, we need You. There's a lot vying for our attention right now, a lot that could distract us. And I pray that You would help us to bring our thoughts into captivity I pray that you would use your word, that it would not return void, help us to understand it and to take away an application of what it means for us even here today. In Jesus' name, amen. So do you have a life verse? I don't know about you, but I have a really hard time answering that question. It could be I'm just really indecisive, but I can't seem to narrow it down just to one particular verse. There's so many that have touched my life in meaningful ways over the years, and often I would say it pretty much depends on what I've been studying recently. Anybody like that? You change uh, these emphases in your life. Uh, But I can say there have been some special verses over the years that I've gone back to repeatedly. These are verses that have been a constant source of encouragement, of guidance even, and uh, had a long-term impact in my spiritual walk. And Psalm twenty-seven, verse four, has been one of those. I'd like you to turn there if you would. You're probably familiar with it already. In any case, <clears throat> it's good to review. And I want to walk through this verse this morning as we look at Psalm 27, 4. King David writes this: One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David wrote Psalm 27 during a time of great trouble. We don't know exactly what was going on, but from the content of the psalm, we learned that his enemies were rising up. They were surrounding him, verses 2, verse 6. Hostile people were advancing on him, were threatening to destroy him, verse 3. It may have been a time of war. It doesn't help us narrow it down much, though, because David spent most of his reign fighting battles. But even from this brief background of the psalm, we can glean a helpful truth. Times of trouble often make us more aware of our need of God. I know that's true in my own life. Whether we're experiencing a global pandemic or you're watching world conflict unfold, you're seeing an economy collapse or bearing the burdens of others, you're experiencing family trials, troubling times always make me more aware of my need of God. And maybe if you reflect back on your own life, you can see that is true as well. God can use trials and difficulties in many different ways. He has unlimited options for that. But we can safely say this is always one of his purposes. When he allows his children to suffer, he wants to push us closer to him. Uh, To quote Nancy Lee DeMoss, anything that makes me need God is a blessing. I hope that you believe that, and I know you'll discover that more and more as you go through life as a Christian. The fact is, we always need God, just as much in times of prosperity as in times of adversity. And David understood that. So I want to do a simple meditation on this one verse this morning and see what we can discover. We're going to divide Psalm 27.4 into three phrases. Here's the first one. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after. One thing means something that is primary, of first importance. It's in contrast to more than one thing. From the very start of this verse, we see that David had his heart set on something exclusive. And that kind of single-minded focus can be powerful if the object is worthy. I direct uh, Camps Abroad, as Dr. Pettit mentioned, and it's an international camping ministry through the wilds that takes us all over the world. I just recently got back from a pretty wild trip to Bangladesh a couple weeks ago, and we were helping establish a camp on the northern border next to India, and it's in a forest area, which is pretty unusual for, for Bangladesh. Uh, there were rumors of roving bands of wild elephants that kept coming up uh, through the forest, and they'd raid villages, take whatever they wanted. They said there were 90 in this, this particular herd. And more concerning, though, they said there were gangs of men that kept coming across from India, and they were raiding villages at night. They said uh, the border guards told us there were three beheadings in the area while we were there, so it's just a wild place. But probably most concerning for me was the eight-hour drive that we had to make to get back to the capital. Uh, we had hired a vehicle, and a, the driver came with the vehicle, and he was a Muslim uh, man probably in his 60s named Mogling. He said he'd been driving for over 32 years. I am not sure how he's still alive. Uh, This, uh, I've I've experienced all kinds of of driving, insane traffic over the world, but this was a whole new level, and I'm still shocked we didn't kill a pedestrian or several along the way. As our translator put it, the longer you drive in Bangladesh, the more aggressive you become, and Mogling was living that out. So the day of our departure was especially intense. We had uh, some delays leaving camp. There were, of course, goodbyes to say, pictures and all that, but mainly the power was out, and we had to print off this document we needed to leave the country, so that took a long time. And then we had traffic delays at every little town along the way, and then there was a fuel shortage. And so all this is just accumulating, and and we're trying to walk in the spirit as we're, we're driving, and it is just insane uh, how they drive uh, in, in Bangladesh. We were doing okay, though. Even with all that, we left plenty of time, we thought, until we hit the circle of Dhaka, the capital. It was total deadlock. I think we moved like one mile in an hour. And we're creeping forward and finding space wherever we could. And finally, we make it to the airport. It takes forever to get dropped off at the airport. We had less than two hours before the flight left. Not good. I've been through that airport multiple times. It's very inefficient. It takes a long time. So we hire this random guy on the street. He helped us navigate the chaos of the airport, and we had a single focus: we are going to make this flight. And so we rush over to the health check. You get a signature. They tell us you don't have the right paperwork. You have to go print it off at the government office. You come back. You get checked in uh, for that. Then you get in line for the actual boarding passes. We got right up to the boarding, uh, the boarding place where they're giving us boarding passes, checking in luggage, and we were denied. They said that we didn't have the right document. I have no idea if we would have made the flight, right? It would have been interesting. It would have been close. But guess what we did the next day? We did everything necessary to make sure we got on that flight the next day. And it literally took all day as we went from place to place. But I was single focused on getting home. Not a bad goal. It was a good thing. I had people waiting. But there was a huge sigh of relief when we finally lifted off. You know, we are all quite capable of focusing on something in particular that we really want. We are pursuing maybe something in life that we really desire, a relationship or just getting a date, graduating, well, at least graduating, okay, with honors maybe if if, uh, you push through, landing that dream job, beating a game, gaining more followers, winning a championship, Whatever it is, you get the idea. This word translated as one thing carries the idea of the one and only thing. So I'm a a word geek, and I I like delving into word origins. Came across a fascinating one uh, reading a business book called Essentialism. And here's the quote. The word priority came to the English language in the 1400s. It was singular. It meant the very first or prior thing. Only in the 1900s did we pluralize the term and start talking about priorities. Illogically, we reasoned that by changing the word, we could bend reality. Somehow, we would now be able to have multiple first things, end quote. Now, doesn't that give us a fascinating look into our culture? How many times do we speak of getting my priorities right? David would have used the word in the proper way. This is my priority, singular but what is it exactly? Well, consider the next phrase. He says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. Notice how he directs this request towards the Lord. He's not directly addressing God through prayer, but he realizes only God can give me this desire. And the word implies he's asking for a favor. He's not demanding a right. It's more like a beggar coming than an entitled person. He knows he doesn't deserve this thing that he desires, but he hopes fervently it will be granted by the Lord. After expressing his earnest desire, David goes on to declare his intent to pursue that desire. Look at the phrase, that will I seek after. The word seek here means to reach after something that you want, right? Here we see a move from desire to action. It's the action of pursuit. So far, with this first phrase, we've established that David was a man of single focus. His entire desire, his intense desire, led him to a passionate pursuit. I can't count the number of times I've heard the advice from various uh, sources to follow your heart. Uh, usually it's well meaning, but that's almost always really bad advice because your heart is deceptive, and it's wicked, and it will lead you astray. But folks, there is a time when it is the right thing to do to follow your heart, and that is when your heart is set on what it should be set on, or we could say the right one it's set on, such as the case of David. Let's consider the next phrase, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So what does David mean by that? The word dwell means simply to live somewhere, to settle down, to stay. It's often translated as sit. My dad is from the great state of Alabama. We used to go down there from time to time and we'd visit with our older relatives. They're all passed away now. One of my great aunts was a true Southern belle. And she would always greet us as we came to her house. She'd say, y'all come in and set for a spell, right? That means settle down and visit for a while. And we did, right? You don't say no to a Southern belle. Only David doesn't want to sit for a spell, right? He doesn't want to just visit. He wants to settle down and stay. He wants to live there permanently. He says, all the days of my life. That's a long time. This sounds like a permanent arrangement. So where does David want to stay? In the house of the Lord. Later in the Psalm, he refers to the temple of the Lord and his tabernacle or the tent of meeting, all synonyms for the same place. So what exactly is David talking about here? Was king of Israel, he knew all about God's house. He was the one who brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem after a few missteps. He eventually transferred worship of Yahweh to the capital city. And during his lifetime, the tabernacle, the tent, was where faithful Israelites would go to worship the Lord. Uh, He also wanted to build a permanent house for the Lord. God stopped him from doing that. He said, prepare your son Solomon to do that. So this verse, David obviously is referring to the physical center of worship for the God of Israel. First the tabernacle, then the temple. But consider this for a moment. David was a king, not a priest. He wasn't allowed to live in the temple. He could only go there periodically to worship like any other normal Israelite man. In fact, not even a priest could dwell in the temple in this way all the time. That's not the purpose of it. But even with this phrase, we get a little bit closer to understanding David's dominating desire. In his day, the tabernacle, and later the temple, was the center of God's presence on earth. Speaking figuratively, here's what David is saying. I want to draw near to God's presence. I want to stay there, constantly, continually. In other words, I want to be as close to God as possible, all day, every day, for life. As commentator Derek Kidner put it, this is an ambition to enjoy the constant presence of God. So what does David want to do in the presence of the Lord? Consider the next phrase in the verse, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So David wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now again, we ask the question, what does he mean by this statement? Well, the word behold means to look at something intensely with enjoyment. No doubt you've heard stories of a young man who experiences love at first sight, being smitten by the sight of a young lady, meeting her for the first time, and staring at her intently, awed at her beauty, right? And he falls in love, whatever that means. Okay, and and so the word behold conveys the experience of a vivid sensation that comes from looking at something. But in this case, David wants to behold something even more stunning than the beauty of a woman, the beauty of the Lord. It's telling. We use the word beautiful to describe a lot of different things in our culture today, a sunset or a flower or a story, but not often to describe God. While this Hebrew word is sometimes used to describe something that's pleasant, in this case, David uses it to describe God himself, which makes sense. Consider this. God is the source of all beauty. He is the one. Everything pleasant in our world comes from him. If it's beautiful, it came from him. He created it. He delivered it to you. He even gives you the capacity to enjoy that beautiful thing. Think about something that delights you. Anything. It came from God. And because everything that gives us enjoyment comes from God, it follows the ultimate enjoyment that we can experience in this life is fellowship with God, the beautiful one. That's why we were created. So we see that here in this verse, beauty is closely connected with God's character, with his glory, his majesty. It's a way of expressing that God is perfect in every way. You could think of the beauty of the Lord this way. Take all of God's attributes, his flaming white purity, his spotless love, his life-giving mercy, his earth-shaking power, his enduring faithfulness, intense justice, amazing grace. Take all of those and more and roll them into one seamless perfection and you have God's beauty, his glory. What could be more beautiful than perfection? And God possesses each of these attributes in perfection. It's like a perfectly cut diamond without any flaw, sparkling in intense light. So God's beauty dazzles the gaze of those who linger on him, those who devote themselves to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now we begin to understand why David desired this one thing more than anything else, why he wanted to dwell permanently in the presence of God to behold his glory. This was David's passionate pursuit because he knew that eternity is not long enough to take in the glorious beauty of the Lord. This is why he set his mind on this object with such single-minded focus in his life because David got it. David understood, at least at this point in his life, close fellowship with God, is the ultimate achievement of a human being because we're made in God's image. God's people should be single-focused, single-minded, focused on pursuing God. And we can truly say that if a person has this one thing, they don't need anything else. Obviously, so much has changed since the time of David. We don't have to go to a temple to worship God. We have Him residing with us, the Holy Spirit. We have another advantage over Old Testament believers. We possess all of God's written revelation preserved for us in Scripture. And this divine revelation is where God teaches us about himself, incredible truth about his attributes. Here we go to learn about God. On the pages of Scripture, we find his glorious beauty revealed. There are tremendous advantages we enjoy. But David, a man after God's own heart, paved the way for us to follow. He set a course of passionate pursuit of God expressed potently in this verse, Psalm 27.4. So let me challenge us to ask and answer this question. Do I share David's single-minded focus? Here's something we have in common as human beings. It's a human thing. We pursue what we desire the most, right? And that was true in David's day. It's true in our day as well. Not everyone will behold the beauty of the Lord. Not everyone will pursue Him like David is describing. Only those who devote themselves to this single-minded commitment. So let's bring this down to where we live. Does this desire that David expresses here in Psalm 27, 4 resonate in your heart? Is your passionate longing to behold the beauty of the Lord, to dwell in His presence continually, or has your passion for Him diminished in recent days, and working with teenagers at the Wiles and around the world over the past couple of decades, we sometimes interact with youth pastors, with parents, with others. They're concerned about what they express as a, a tendency towards apathy in young people. Our English word apathy comes from two words, ah meaning not, pathos meaning passion. They're saying there's no passion, there's no emotion towards the Lord. And apathy, though, that they use in that context is actually a misnomer. I've never met an apathetic teenager or college student. I'm convinced that such a person doesn't exist. Because everyone is passionate about something. That's part of being human. Apathy towards spiritual things is actually then misplaced passion. It's a lack of interest in God. So when delving into this verse about David's passionate pursuit of God, it makes sense We need to explore other areas of passion. If you're not currently passionately pursuing God Himself, what has replaced Him as your priority? Are you currently pursuing with passion and devotion something other than God? A particular form of entertainment? Maybe a person? Maybe a hobby? A sport? A position? Keeping up a persona? Advancing in your career? It's not that any of those things are wrong in and of themselves, but they need to be kept in the proper place because even good things can become evil if replaced by, with the best thing. Be encouraged. We're all in this struggle together. People are fluid. We all go through valleys in, in, in our spiritual lives, a lot of ups and downs. As I look back over my own spiritual journey, I can see these times clearly. It's like taking a hike in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains. You have these highs and these lows spiritually. You ebb and flow in your passion. And certainly there will be times of diminished desire, but my friend, it is possible for every genuine believer to set a trajectory of pursuing God in this way. Even more than possible, this is what God wants of you. And Jesus accomplished this for you in salvation. He gave you the opportunity to know God when he opened up a close relationship with your father. That's why these kind of questions are healthy to ask regularly. Keep your finger on your spiritual pulse. I'm not asking where you were in your pursuit of God earlier this year or last year. I'm asking where are you in your pursuit of God right now? So what if you take your spiritual temperature and you discover your passion for the Lord has waned, that you're seeking after other lesser pursuits, Is it possible to change that desire? Is it possible to redirect my passion in the right way? Well, David actually tells us, yes, it is. He gives us the answer here in this verse. How can we gaze on the beauty of the Lord? Consider the final phrase of this verse, and to inquire in his temple. In the structure of this verse, these two final phrases are placed parallel to each other. To behold the beauty of the Lord is parallel with to inquire in his temple. But they're not exactly synonymous. In this case, the second phrase further explains the first. So how do we behold the beauty of the Lord? By inquiring in his temple. What does that mean? Well, the word inquire has a wide range of translations. It's hard to get a bearing, but here it carries the idea seemingly of meditation. It means to conduct a careful inspection of something. To go back to my recent experience in Bangladesh Airport, I didn't tell you, we had already checked our luggage in as we were there at the counter. We already had our boarding passes in hand. We were ready to turn away and go back through security. And then a sharp-eyed employee of Qatar Airways double-checked the date and time of our COVID test. He found it was one hour outside of the 24 that they required. I could have killed the guy. That is a careful inspection. Not just looking at the date, but looking at the minute. Right? Don't you hate overachievers like that? With this phrase, David communicates. He wants us to carefully inspect God himself. And he does this by meditating on his glorious nature from his perspective of temple worship. David's access to scripture may have been minimal, but he delighted in everything he knew about God. He studied it. He immersed himself in it. He was a man after God's own heart. He was a man skilled in the art of meditation as he uh, watched his father's flocks for all those years. He carefully inspected God's glorious perfection, and his meditation flowed out in song. Psalm 27 is one of those meditations. My friend, as countless believers who have gone before us can attest... God holds up to the closest of scrutiny. Gaze at him passionately as long as you like, as hard as you like, you won't find any flaw. In fact, you will only become more overwhelmed in what you discover to delight in. But here's where the rubber meets the road. It takes time to get to know God in this way. It's what meditation is all about, studying the Bible for the purpose of getting to know him. It's not hard, but it does require commitment. Beholding the beauty of the Lord starts by praying earnestly for God to reveal Himself to you. Then taking time to dig into His Word intentionally, considering what God tells us about Himself in this book, and then taking time to apply that truth to your own life. That's what meditation is in a spiritual way. And folks, this is much more than an academic pursuit. It's more than an academic exercise. It's not something you can pick up casually in a theology class, no matter how good the teacher, the passionate pursuit of God is a personal matter. And it is well worth the effort. Because if you commit to devote yourself to this pursuit, you will never find God lacking. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. My friend, by God's grace, devote yourself to seek the Lord in this passionate, single-focused way, and you will never regret it. This is the best of all pursuits. Let's pray. Father, we need you in this pursuit. We are so easily distracted, and I pray, Father, that you would work in us to create this desire, to delve into your word, to study the Bible, to get to know you in a personal way that should be a lifelong pursuit. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.